you please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're back to our study as we have, um, last week if you were here, we did a review, an overview of the book as we have gone through now uh, 15 different lessons and we find ourselves in the midst of chapter 5 and finishing, closing up here in the first book of 1 Thessalonians before we go to the second uh, book of Thessalonians. And so we find ourselves in the midst of the final instructions and God's um, benediction to his people through the apostle Paul. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, we're going to be looking through verses, specifically verse 17, because I'm going to take some time to focus upon the phrase, prayer without ceasing. And the reason why we're doing this is because I think a lot of times this is one of the struggles for most people in their Christian life is to pray um, and then what to pray and how to pray and then specifically how to pray without ceasing. Um, and not only that, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that I think is probably the most important. Uh, I think this is probably one of the most important sermons besides you hearing the gospel message. Um, because it calls us to that love relationship that we have, that communion that we have with God. And so it's the thing that was there in the in the beginning where Adam and Eve walked and they spoke with God and they had fellowship with God. And when the fall happened, that's what got broken. And so we're always looking to get back to that yearning, to that relationship, to the communion with God. And yet that's the place where there's a struggle. And so we want to, to focus upon that this morning. And so, again, I just want you to see, um, starting at verse 15, and then uh, through verse 22, and then we'll specifically look at verse 17 this morning. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil, every evil form that there is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, this is your word. And you give the Holy Spirit. So, Father, truly give us eyes to see, hearts to understand the ability to understand how we can have communion with you through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach us as only you can. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to start by uh, talking about a quote from um, R.C. Sproul, and I'm going to put it up here. And He says this, God is sovereign... And so prayer cannot change God himself or his purposes, but it certainly does change things. Now, that's a unique thing that happens because, again, as we pray, God has told us that our prayers affect things that happen in this world. Yet we know that it doesn't change who God is and it never changes his purposes. So the time that God spent within the midst of the Trinity and everything that he decided comes to be. So it's a unique thing that happens and is a thing that anybody tells you that they understand um, how this happens, they're lying to you. 
Okay, because we don't grasp, we don't understand how God takes our prayers at this moment and uses it to bring about his purposes in the world at a specific time, at a specific place, for specific purposes. But he does. And that's the good thing. That's why he's sovereign and we are not. Oswald Chamber gives this quote, he says, Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And that's the reality of what I would like you to have this morning, is that it doesn't matter how great a building we have, it doesn't matter how great missionaries uh, we send around the world, it doesn't matter how uh, purposeful we are in the way that we give our gospel message, if God's not in it, it doesn't matter. And so the reality of what he tells us to do is the greatest work that we have in all of life is to be in prayer with him, to be in communion with him, to have his heart as our heart, to have his ways as our ways. And so we're supposed to um, have this desire, this yearning to be in a prayer relationship with him. And so the question becomes for us is as we begin to look at this prayer, what is the importance of the prayer? What we see, first of all, that Jesus gives his example. Jesus is someone who is perfect. He is the son of God. And yet he's brought here. And in the midst of the busyness of ministry, Jesus finds time to go spend it with the father. Now, I want you to understand this because sometimes people think that Jesus was somehow um, something other than what we could ever uh, be a part of. Jesus, yes, never gives up his deity, but he becomes human. He has the same, he gets tired. He, he had the same opportunity to sin as we had the opportunity to sin. And yet he had to live in the spirit just like we do. It's the spirit that does the ministry uh, to him and through him. He gets encouraged by the the angels throughout time. And so there's the reality that we have to make sure that we don't think that Jesus is so other that we don't make sure that we apply that he was human just like us. And as he was human just like us, Jesus had to slip away. That's one of the, the words that says he had to slip away and spend time with the Father. How much more do we need to do that? We need to be in communion with the Father. And as we have that opportunity, we need to slip away in whatever form that that can be, at whatever moments that you have. So if you have, say you have uh, 10 minutes free every hour, then slip away and spend time in prayer. Spend time as, as you're uh, going in your car to different places. Uh, spend time as, as you have times away from your children or uh, even at work when you're, you're finding yourself having a couple of minutes to yourself. Slip away into fellowship with God. And so Jesus is giving us his example, but then Paul uh, gives us this relationship where he tells us it should happen corporately. Listen, prayer is the first line of defense, not a last resort. We should be taking all things in prayer at all times. And we should be known as a praying church. If for nothing else, if there's nothing else we're known for, we should be known as a praying church. Because listen, prayer always precedes revival in our individual lives, in churches, and in the world. Every time. There's not a time where prayer has not been the catalyst for revival. And so what needs to happen is we need to take these things that are, are told to us as, as Jesus' example in the corporate expectation, we need to apply it to our lives individually. 
Because it really should be that prayer is so central to the lives, it's like breathing in life. It should be the thing that is so common to us. Because it is our desire to be in communion with God. It, it is our desire. And yet, sin falls into place. And so it starts to become what? If we're honest, it's a struggle. And so there's a struggle, both with personal struggles, because we become what? Lazy? Indifferent? We become angry with God when he doesn't answer things the way that we want him to answer things, or at the time that we want him? And yet we have these desires to be in communion with God, but our sin resists the Spirit. There's a quote from one of the pastors, I can't remember who gave it, but he said, um, we always fall privately before we uh, mess up publicly. And what he does, he applies this to, to Peter in regards to, you remember the story, Jesus has just gone through, he's had the Lord's Supper, they go out and he's praying at the Mount of Olives and Peter's there and, and what does he say to the people? Stay here in prayer so that you might not enter in temptation. And what happens to him? They fall asleep. And you know, the next thing that Paul, that Peter does, excuse me, that Peter does, is Peter tries to take on the army. He cuts off the servant's ear. So he's not praying, he's sleeping, and then he tries to, within his own power, to take on the army. And only that, he denies Christ three times in the course. I mean, look at your passage in Luke 22, go back and read it. Those are the things that he does. And so Peter tries to do these things in his own power. If Peter was doing what he was supposed to do, if Peter was praying the way he was supposed to be praying and not falling into temptation, how different would that night have looked for Peter? And yet God comes to us and he says, hey, I want to have that communion with you. It's you're the one who's walking away. Come back to me because it is your desire. And please understand, it's hard for everybody to pray. Everybody. If it's hard for the apostles, don't think it's not going to be hard to pray. Because listen, it's not just struggles with us inside. There's also attacks of Satan. Satan knows when you pray. In military aspects, what's the one thing you want to take out against your um, against the people that you're fighting against? You want to destroy their communication. If you take away your communication, you take away the pipeline. Why would you think that Satan's not trying to destroy that? Why do you not think that the times that you try to set aside his prayers are times that the phone starts ringing more than any other time? Why do you think that your, your mind doesn't start to, to go to other things when you want to set aside some time to pray? You think that's just by chance? Not only that, that there, there might be people praying against you. Listen, there's someone who came up to me when I was out in Colorado. And I wasn't even the senior pastor. I was just a youth pastor. And so I had someone come up to me and goes, hey, your name's on a Satanist website. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, your name is on the Satanist website. Now, it was a mistake because there is another Jeffrey Godwin who actually wrote books about um, how bad Christian uh, rock music is and how that's sinful and stuff like that. So there is another Jeffrey Godwin out there. And so they applied my bio from the church to the work of the book. Okay. So I actually had to, uh, one, contact the Satanist and confront him and say, well, 
I am Jeffrey Cotton, but you got two things misconnected here. And he goes, well, thanks for bringing that to me. I'll change that. But just so you know, we're praying against you. So as much as you are going to the Father, please understand that there are people wanting you to fail. Because prayer changes things. There's power in the prayers that come in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to make sure that in the midst of these struggles with prayers, we continue to pray and we, uh, sorry, went too far. But we need to do it in the midst of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that, listen, um, Romans, I can't see that. (laughs) Uh, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray or how we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now I want you to, to, to listen, and here's another thing. So the Spirit's interceding, and R.C. Sproul, I think, has a, a great line here. He says, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches, inspires, and illumines God's Word to us. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is working to us. But he's also mediating the Word of God and assists us in responding to the Father in prayer. So he's doing both. He's teaching us while at the same time taking our prayers and he's making it, listen, correct. He's correcting our prayers as he goes to the Father. That's that's what it's saying here. It's the Holy Spirit that's on both sides of the equation. That's why when you don't have words, sometimes those are the most powerful prayers. Because the Spirit knows your heart and your mind. And he also knows the heart and the mind of God the Father and God the Son. And so we have to be reminded and we have to continually um, remind ourselves that we are praying in the Spirit, in the power. The power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same. The same. He's not different. He's the same Spirit that lives within you. And so this is an incredible thing, an incredible gift that we have, that we get to pray in the Spirit to God the Father. Now, the question thing we should ask about prayer is, what are we to pray? Okay? So it is, first of all, to the glory of God. So when the disciples said, teach us to pray, um, they were asking Jesus a great question. There was a missionary that I was listening to in regards to this passage, and the missionary said uh, when he was called to go to all these different places and go to these prayer meetings, he said it felt more like a medical convention than a time of prayer. He said people were more concerned to keep saints out of heaven than to rescue sinners out of hell. Because he said most of the time it was just simply sharing everybody's woes and illnesses and sicknesses. Now I'm not saying that's bad, but when the prayer meeting at missionary-focused times, if that's what it becomes about, then there's something wrong. See, the reality is is we need to make sure that our examples of whatever prayers we do, whether it's Acts or self-family church world, or the Lord's Prayer that he gives us, that um, David read for us, the Lord's Prayer, the first and foremost thing, the first priority should be God. 
See, it's, it's the reality that we are just supposed to glorify God in all things. And so it should be our desire to, that anything that's passion, that God has a passion for and his desires are for, that should be our passion. That should be our desires. Listen, there's an example given of a, someone who said, you know, I started a plan for my vacation and it took four years to get to the vacation. And it came to the day where we were going to go off and we we're going to go on this great vacation that we had planned for so long. And then all of a sudden our child got sick. Well, what happens to the vacation? It becomes secondary. Because the passion for the child becomes greater. And that's the understanding that that should be how we think. Our desires, when people fast, it's not that they're just trying to do away with um, food. It's not just, they're saying, I'm so passionate about this that it takes precedence over everything. I'd rather not eat. I mean, if you were to go to that person about that vacation and say, hey, let's go out to the nicest restaurant. He'd say, you're crazy. My child, he needs me. Because that becomes your passion. That, that's how it should be in our prayers. God, what is your passion for this area? God, what is your passion for, for the O'Galley area, for, for Brevard County? How can we be a part of that? How can that be our passion? God, God, I want to be a part of that. And when that becomes our desires, then we start to see God move. Not because we want to see things change, but because that's the desire and the passion of his heart. And so he should be praying that his priorities become our priorities. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't the relationship to our needs in prayer. Yes, but there's a secondary priority. If we're loving God, if his desires are becoming our desires, then that begins to listen. That's where the word of God begins to transform us. Because our thoughts that go to us and for everything that we're doing starts to change to what God wants. And what he wants to do. And then that changes everything about us. And so it affects our confession. It, it affects how we try to keep in, in uh, short accounts with God and short accounts with each other. It, it affects how we intercede for one another. It affects how we give thanksgiving for the things that he's given. Have you stopped and thanked him for the things that he's provided for you? For the things that he's given to you? And then, and only then, does it affect how you intercede for the future. God, do this. God, fix this. Those are so secondary. Doesn't mean they're not important. But they are secondary to God being glorified. Because listen, what does it say? Because all these things, listen, the scripture tells us in in Matthew 6.33, he says, you become anxious. Have you been anxious lately? I do. How am I going to pay these bills? How am I going to get my girls through college? How am I going to, you know, they keep destroying my ceiling. They keep, you know, tires keep wearing out. All these things keep happening. You know, we have to keep paying our bills here at the church. We've got to keep growing. We've got to keep doing all these kind of things. And you start, God, 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 God. I got to do, I got to do, got to do. And he's just like, Jeff, you're an idiot. Jeff, do you, do you not understand that if you keep the priorities that are supposed to be the priorities, all these things are going to be taken care of. Why do we get so caught up like the world? It's because when we take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on our circumstances, how are you going to take care of this? I've got it. So remind yourself, 
But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His kingdom first, His righteousness first, and everything else will fall into place. And we're supposed to do this without ceasing. It's the point of the passage. Now, what does that mean to pray without ceasing? It means we're supposed to have a persistent prayer life, which means that we should be praying uh, repeatedly. Often it doesn't mean that you have to be praying all the time. It means that you should be in a, in a conversation. You should be listening to Scripture. You should be reading Scripture. You should have God speaking to you. And as the Holy Spirit brings the Scripture to your mind, we respond to Him in prayer. Listen, the, the spirit is a, the spirit should be one of dependence where it permeates, permeates everything that we're thinking about, everything that we say, everything that we do. We should be in that kind of a, a relationship because listen, prayer becomes our mindset. And we understand that because things, the things that take us over, that's what we think about all the time. That's where we spend our money. That's where we've set our focus. And so what God's saying is that the prayer should be the mindset. We should be devoted to God. And so that you should be setting up times, regular times that you're praying. How did they know Daniel was praying to go and arrest him? They knew he prayed three times a day. There's an example of a, of a pastor from Valley Money, um, which for us and who go to Northern Ireland, we understand uh, this. And uh, he's now over here in the States, but he was praying uh, um, about a friend and so the family had come over for vacation over here in the United States, and they got to see uh, the grandfather as one of the missionaries on the wall. And so the pastor said to the little girl, hey, what do you think? What, you don't expect to see grandpa's picture. And, and she's like, well, but who is that? And she says, oh, that's praying, grandpa. Would your children or your grandchildren say that about you? Well, that's praying, grandpa. Are you praying so much that that is the thing that people know about you more than anything else? That you're keeping in step with the Spirit? See, that again should be our desire and we need to go with a plan. We need to be praying. And as we're praying, it becomes, listen, an encouragement to us. Listen to these um, uh, scriptures about prayer that Paul says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then let me give you one more. Luke 18, the persistent widow. Remember that story? The judge who has no fear of God and no, he's, he was no uh, person who cared about men, but yet the, the widow who was so persistent to come to get justice, the judge relents. And God responds and says, so that you might not, listen, so that you might not lose heart. Don't lose heart in prayer. And that you might be found to have faith. Faith. Don't lose heart. Keep the faith. Now, how do you do that? Let's be very practical. If you're not praying, start. And don't get overwhelmed by thinking that all of a sudden, because you hear this 
um, sermon today that now you've got to go home and you have to have two hours of sleep only because you want to pray the way that Jesus prays. It's okay to sleep in. It's okay to not have hours of prayer. But if you're having none, start small. Have five minutes of prayer. If you're already doing prayer, then extend it. Maybe pray for things specifically. Maybe take your petitions and them not being the first thing, make them the last thing. Make sure you're focused upon God's glory and his purposes. I would also ask that you would fast. Now again, some people can't take away a meal, they can't take away a day, they can't take away a week. If you can give up a dessert, give up a dessert. Don't give up your vegetables. Give up your dessert and pray. If you can do a day, do a day. If you can do a week, give a week. And here's two very specific things that I would like you to pray about. To our finances. Obviously, we're in debt with this building. And sometimes the debt of the building runs ministry, and it should be ministry running the, the, the debt. So I would love to have the miracle where someone comes in here and writes a check for the whole thing. Well, that's too big. Not for my God. You should be praying. God, remove this debt so that we might do the ministry that you want here and around the world. Second thing, we keep talking about wanting to grow and plant churches that do that. We need people. We need the right people. We need sinners saved by grace. And we need people who know how to lead, how to guide, how to teach. We need to grow. So we continue to plant to do the will of God the Father so that his kingdom will come. His kingdom, not our own. And then, for those that need accountability, find someone. If you're going to do great for this next week, and the second week, eh, not so good. Find someone to question you, in love, to hold you accountable. But I'm telling you, besides the gospel message, to learn to pray, and to seek God's kingdom and his glory, through prayer, is the greatest thing you'll ever do. Because listen, this is what we get to do in heaven. Have communion with the Trinity. Don't you look forward to that day? (sighs) To talk to Jesus, and we don't have to avert our eyes. We don't have to worry about being killed because of his righteousness and his glory. We get to stand in his presence and worship him and speak to him and be restored to that one perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father and His Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray to that end. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, that is our desire. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given to us this command. It's not an option. Pray without ceasing. And so, Father, change our desires, change our heart to be in such a way that we seek to give you all the glory and honor in everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do. To God alone be the glory. 
And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we pray it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.